Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Clean Break, the podcast. We're back at it again. It's going to be a great day, great show. You're going to love the people that we have on our show today. Or actually, we have one person today. But, That's right. <laughs> and, and one of the best people is obviously my co-host, Tina. Aww. Tina, how are you? I'm great, Darren. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be back in the saddle again. So um, welcome to the show, Melissa Lafreniere. I don't know if I pronounced that 100% correct, but we'll try. She is a uh, psychotherapist. Her business is True North Mediation. We've had you on the show before, but welcome again today. Thank you. It's great to be back. Uh, it's nice to see you guys too. It's been yeah, nice, nice to see you too. Yeah. So um, one of the things we wanted to talk about today is um, sort of co-parenting and setting up, setting yourself up the best for separation. And I think primarily, how do we, um, how do we set it up for our kids, right? Mm-hmm. So you deal specifically, or, or you like to focus on the family, the family unit in, in a separation and divorce. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So my practice focuses on helping people keep their kids at the forefront of their conversation and their separation. Um, So when there are kids involved, how are we making decisions that are actually going to take away some of the pressure of the separation on the children um, once it actually happens? So such a hard time too, right? Because you're really kind of in your own mind Mm -hmm. and you're thinking really about yourself. So everything else takes the back seat. And obviously kids should always be the front seat, but you know, so how do we do that? How do you, how do you coach parents to, to, to deal with the kids part? Yeah. Well, first it's, it is really hard. And I think you're right that we focus on our own needs because the true like essence of being separated or getting separated, is like a trauma to your system. And our response is to protect ourselves and defend against things that feel really threatening. So if you have somebody who is, you know, trying to do things that maybe weren't what you discussed or agreed upon, like that activates that warning system. So it makes it very easy to not focus on the little people. So, but when I, when I work with parents, when there's kids involved, I always ask them, you know, what is it that they're, what are their hopes and dreams? for their kids post-separation like what is it that they were hoping for and once we have a sense of what that is then we make all of our decisions you know we buff it up against against what they had identified as their goals um, so if we want our kids to be happy and thriving like our our decisions we're making now going to help us get to that end and that includes how we present the separation and divorce. So um, what that means when people come to see me is we talk about, okay, what are, what are the basic things that your kids are going to want to know based on their age and stage of development? So what a three-year-old might need to know is very different than what a 13-year-old might need to know. Um, So getting information that's age appropriate, ready to go, um, gives the parents a sense of confidence to be like, okay, I've, I know what I'm going to say. I can do this and gives the kids a sense of reassurance that their needs are going to be taken care of. So that is, that is the starting point. And then of course we field the questions and, and come up with even a script sometimes of how to deliver the information, kind of set up a common storyline. I think that's brilliant mm-hmm. because I think people, I mean, even when you're trying to present how you feel about something, if you're just winging it, Mm-hmm. you know true you know and it, and then like you said with kids different ages some like five-year-olds don't need to know the inner workings of what's going to happen in the divorce mm-hmm. they just want to make sure mom and dad are going to keep loving them right mm-hmm. <laughs> through it so 100 yeah. percent. and you know that is something we talk about so like what what all kids of all ages in my opinion need to know is okay uh when is this going to happen where am i going to live 
who's going to continue to do my basic needs? Like who's going to pick me up from school? Like what's going to change for me? Um, They're very egocentric little people. Even the most altruistic kid will just want to know what's how this impacts them. So having as many information uh, questions answered ahead of time helps reduce some of those uh, those feelings of anxiety. So is this something you do with both parents or primarily with one parent and then let the other flail? <laughs> That's not the right word. But Flounder. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the feeling. Be like, I'm just going to do what I want and let that person sink or swim. But what's really important to your kids is that they feel like they still have two parents. So sometimes you're right. It can't happen where people present together, but uh, I do the best that I can to unite the couples to, to have this conversation with their kids together. Um, so while I do meet with people individually, I'm very, very happy to create a joint narrative with a couple that together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to the parents at the same time, do you, do you go one on, like, are they in the same meeting or, or is it, or is it like yeah. separate? No, it, they, well, I've done it both ways. Um, but where I see it be most effective is when they can be together, right. In the same frame, I've had people come just like how you guys are sitting like shoulder to shoulder, um, and are okay with that because they have, they know this is going to happen. Most of the time they're still in the same house and they, they want to talk to the kids together. So they want to hear the same information at the same time. So what are some basic things you might, you know, advise a couple to say to a child? Maybe they have three children and they differ in age from, you know, three to 10, right? Are you going to sit all, you know, say all three of the kids down together? Like, what are some of those things you would say? Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that if you have that varied of a stage in ages, then I think it's okay to take the older one or like the one especially if they're like teenage and, and be able to say, Hey, you know, we want to talk to you about this because you're going to have different questions and, you know, kind of give, give you, like, give you a bit of a heads up before we go talk to the other two. But I would do that very close proximity. Like I wouldn't tell an older child, you know, on a Friday and then tell the other ones like two weeks later. So you don't want to leave the kids sitting with information and no one to share it with. Um, but it, I think it's appropriate to take the older one aside and just say, hey, you're going to have different thoughts and feelings about this than your younger siblings. And we want to talk to you on, on your level versus mm-hmm. their level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think about, you know, kids growing, like growing up or whatever and having an argument with my spouse and, and my kids don't like that because they think that means we're getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Right. And the pain that I have felt just, you know, and my husband and I don't have like a blowout argument. <laughs> we don't tend to do that, but I just, you know, and we, my husband and I will look at the kids and go, you guys argue all the time. Like mm-hmm. you got almost it blows all the time. So dad and I are, you know, going to have, I have three boys, uh, <laughs> you know, dad and I are going to have arguments and sometimes they're going to get heated, but that's different. We're siblings, you're married, you know? And I, I just, yeah. I feel that pain. And I can't even imagine how difficult it would be to, to have to tell your children that, but also to be a child and to feel that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those things that I think, you know, we have very pivotal moments in life, right? And there are things that we remember very, very well. And so depending on how old your child is, and I would say like anything over the age of five or six, like they're going to remember the conversation. So setting it up to be, you know, 
like as, as anxiety free as possible will help your child actually process that information and they're going to process it differently too right so a kid might be like oh okay and then two weeks later start having fights with people so i mean it's not a straight line it's a, they're going to circle back with questions when you least expect um, and they're going to be curious as to the why why this is happening and why their life is being impacted. And it's important that as a parent, you respond to that appropriately. Um, so I got some questions. I have a question yeah, for you. Sure. Why, why don't we talk about the do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. right? So what yeah. what what should parents be doing? Like, let's start with the don'ts. Let, what should parents not be doing when they're talking to their kids about divorce? Okay, so don't give too much adult information, right? Kids don't need to know that you're separating because dad's uh whatever or mom did this like they don't need to know that so giving it don't don't air your dirty laundry in front of your kids yeah. don't ask them to pick a side don't imply that there's a side to take um don't the best that you can have one person stoic and strong and the other person just dissolving into tears because what that looks like to a child is like oh that person did something to that person like there's a lot of unspoken body language and messaging that comes from just observing people right Mm -hmm. delivering a joint narrative that we have made this decision and dad's sobbing uncontrollably and mom's holding it together well the kids are going to assume that a mom wants out dad's the injured party mom's the bad guy so yeah having having a don't come in with two different versions of the story I guess is is another don't to consider you know that's interesting because you think about (laughs) just the different personalities of people right one may naturally be more tearful and and expressive and the other may be more sort of stoic right so as a child like how do you like as a parent how do you not do what you've always done you know what I mean like if I'm the crier yes, and Aaron's yeah. not <laughs> the kids are going to expect yeah, yeah. one of us to be the crier and one to yeah. not so how do you how do you yeah. change that narrative for this conversation so I think it's important to normalize the fact that it's a difficult conversation just be upfront about it guys we need to talk about something and you know it's hard for me to do and when I when I'm feeling really uncomfortable, sometimes I cry and it's not because I'm sad that this is happening. It's because I'm, you know, feeling nervous about sharing this with you. So kind of normalizing the tears, um, explaining that it's, it's just what your body does sometimes to release energy and feeling, um, not to make it, uh, like I'm the injured person. Um, so like kind of normalizing that there could very well be tears and that's okay. You know, what I think would be more destabilizing for a kid sometimes is to watch the non-crying parent dissolve, right? So if dad's always been good to keep it together and he comes to the conversation in tears, like that's something the kids are going to remember too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how does a parent work through that though? You know what I mean? Like, do they, should they practice? <laughs> I don't know, like practice with someone like yourself or I, yeah, I, I, I would encourage people to do that. And, you know, like people have a story of how they got together, right? If you ask someone, they can tell you the story of how they met, how they fell in love, how they got married, blah, blah, blah. Um, but people rarely have a story of how they separated. And mm-hmm. so I think it's important to have a joint narrative for your kids. So come up with a story. This is the story we're going to go with. And this is the story of our, we're going to give our kids. So, and if that means writing it out and having a script and working with somebody to go through it, 
until you feel ready to share it, then I think that's, I think that's valuable. I think that's what you Yeah. I read an article not too long ago, a couple months ago. Um, and it had to do with separating parents and how not to mess up your kids afterwards. Mm. And what they said was, is that something like 90% of kids that come through a relationship that there's support in are just fine. Like they're, they're the same pretty much in life as they would have been had their parents stayed together. Right. Right. Yeah. They just find a way to be their own person. Right. right? Yeah. It's the ones who have constant conflict that goes oh. on forever that yeah. never seems to end where they're pulling in the mm-hmm. child from side to side. Yeah. That those, those kids end up being really messed up, like oh. really have a hard time coping. Right. 100%. So. You know, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I tell parents all the time, cause I, they're worried, right? Like they feel like they're going to ruin their child's life. This is yeah. going to be devastating. Like, how can I do this? Which is why a lot of people even stay together so they can avoid that awful right. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, it's a trauma. Yes. It, it is an injury. It's, it's, that it's just like step, stubbing your toe can be a trauma to your toe. What makes it traumatizing is when kids are stuck in the middle of a high conflict separation and people can't agree. Right. That's, that's where it gets, uh, that's where it gets hard. So do we, do we do the, 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 the do's? We did the oh, don'ts. Yeah, we did the don'ts. We did the don'ts. We does do, Let's the, do the do's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the do's, excuse me. Do have some sense of what you're doing, right? Um, do plan ahead. So, you know, if you're going to move out, you know, on a two weeks or two months from when you share that information with the kids, know that in advance, what you don't want to do. And sometimes you have to is just quick exit. Um, but it's better to plan it and have a plan and be able to answer your children. Like this is where mom's going to live. This is where dad's going to live. If you have pictures, you know, if you've done a walkthrough and you know, this is where you're going to live, show them pictures, bring them over, like do include them with, with the transition. Um, have them pick the colors of their rooms kind of thing, but do um, know where they're going to go to school, what the schedule is going to be, you know, who's going to pick them up, like have as many as those answer questions answered before you sit down because mm-hmm. they will ask you. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to say, like, you know, you think about the separation agreement itself and that's what gets hammered out in the separation agreement. But yeah. quite often this conversation with the children is happening long before the separation agreement is actually done. Mm-hmm. And all of those details are hammered mm-hmm. out. Right. So yeah. how do you address that if you don't really know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why sometimes it's important to consult with somebody before you have the conversation and at least having a sense of this is what our schedule is going to be. And I mean, that, that could be really hard depending on how well you get along, but to have a sense of, you know what, like dad's going to move, mom's going to move. This is when you're going to see the people, this is what it looks like on a calendar. And if you have to consult with someone ahead of time to sort that, I think that's a worthwhile investment. I think it's a huge investment actually, because like, like co-parenting is literally its own, like own, it's its own section of the Mm -hmm. separation agreement, right? Like, I mean, it's not all in one area, but it's kind of like, like sprinkled through the separation agreement, yeah. but it's such, it's, it's a huge chunk. It's probably like a third, mm-hmm. you know, cause you've got the kids and then you've got the financial yeah. and then rights and obligations of the parties. Right. Yeah. So you like it to willy nilly, just go to a lawyer or a mediator and say, mm-hmm. figure out the parenting side for me. Yeah. Right. Cause they're going to offer a bunch of suggestions and then the person's kind of caught in the deer in the headlights thing. Oh, what, what do I want on Thanksgiving, on yeah. Christmas? What are the boundaries? And that's a big one I hear all the time, the boundaries, right? Like showing up 
on a Friday afternoon when you're not supposed to be there until the following week and just, just drop in and say hi on the kids. Hmm. Yeah. But those are mm-hmm. I, apparent, important things to put into a, an agreement. Or- oh, for sure. So, so my, in my experience, both like professionally and personally, like your finances get set. And then, you know, once the property is divided, like that's done, we don't revisit that. We're not supposed to, but your kids are dynamic and they grow and like, you're stuck with this person. Um, and you're always going to be stuck with this person now, like, right. So like how you do this really changes your children's experience. Right. Like I, I'm from a separated family. Like my parents were separated. And to this day, it's been like 30 years and they cannot, they cannot like be in the same space, you know, at 30 years, like it's crazy. And the stress that that puts on like me, an adult child is like, who do I like, whose year is it for Christmas? Like, it's ridiculous. At this point, you think you would need to, you could stop doing that. Um, but imagine like 40 feeling that way versus 10, um, and hearing your parents argue about Christmas. Wow. wow. Yeah. So we did the, we did the do's. We did the don't, we did the don'ts. Yep. We got all the don'ts. Yep. Okay. And then you had a question you were going to, well, I was just talking, wanted to talk specifically about the co-parenting piece, mm-hmm. right? Because we've talked about how to set up the initial talk with the separation. Then how do you go forward with the co-parenting part? Like what are some pieces of advice for that? Um, so I think if you get a really well-drafted parenting plan, you should be okay. Cause if you talk about all of these things ahead of time and people are, you know, working on good faith with, within good faith and, and can be kind of agreeable, um, then everything's been executed. But when, when they can't, then there are other mechanisms in place like parenting coordination, for example, where a parenting coordinator will sit on a file um, for a year or so and help the parents develop those skills and tools and to minimize the conflict and give them resolution to some of their disputes. Because as a parenting coordinator, you can arbitrate and, and render decisions on things that people are doing that are outside of their separation agreement. So there are mechanisms in place when co-parenting is just not going well and you need a third person um, to support you guys, to support the people to uh, getting the skills, communication strategies, prioritizing their kid. And then when they can't get along, someone saying, okay, like, this is what it is. The kid's going to camp, like, enough, right? Because the kid needs, like, that's in the best interest of the child. Um, Just keeps that focus. So you do co-parenting support service. That's what you also offer. Yes. So I'm a parenting coordinator as well. So I do the full breadth of dispute resolution. So parenting coordination, like I just mentioned, means that somebody is able to make decisions when people cannot. Mm. People are fighting about the pizza lunch. Um, and the kids going without a pizza lunch because nobody can decide who's going to pay for it. A parenting coordinator will try to mediate it. And then if they can't, they'll just say, mom, you're paying for the pizza lunch, like go. And then right. it becomes an award. Yeah. Okay. So is that, is that, is that given to you by the courts, the authority to do that given to you by the courts or how, how do well, it can be recommended by the courts, but um, it's, it's a private dispute resolution service. So they sign off on it. Okay. Yeah. The parents have signed off on it. That's yeah. Maybe yeah. one person that ultimately has the yeah. decision. Yeah. That's and great. you get your, I mean, you get your lawyer's advice and you, there's jurisdiction. Like you can't just be deciding anything and everything like it's all decided ahead of time, but right. it keeps people accountable. If one person really cannot be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
there's a whole array of, of things that go on in a separation that most people don't understand, right? We just think, okay, two people separate, they divorce and that's it. But there's so many other moving parts. And realistically, we should be involving all of these other professionals to get through it relatively unscathed. Like, yeah. I, you know, I think one of the one of the misnomers in the process is people think you're just going to go to one person and they're going to deal with everything for mm-hmm. you. Problem is that one person has a special skill set mm-hmm. to more or less deal with either law or, mm-hmm. you know, the mediation side. Yeah. Um, and they're not really good at, you know, being a therapist yeah. or being uh, yeah. a, a mediator like yourself, a parenting mediator. Right. Yeah. Um, so the pro and, and a lot of people do that because they feel that they're saving money mm-hmm. when the truth is they're actually just spending more money because yeah. the yeah. person who's not trained in that yeah. has to go through and, and it becomes a longer process of paying that one person. Yeah. Whereas if you just kind of like delegated everything to the appropriate person, yeah. you'd have less time and you'd probably spend at least the same amount of money, if not less. Yeah. And, and get through in a much better place emotionally. Yep, yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, oh, for sure. Like when, so do you deal with yeah. the kids or just primarily the parents? So I I can do both. Like I can't, I have done child included conclusive mediation where I'll, you know, ask the kids, you know, how they're thinking and feeling, get to know them a little bit so that I have some sense of who they are while I'm helping their parents make decisions. Yeah. Um, so that, that can happen. I try not to do that too, too often because I think, you know, kids should be out of it. And, you know, by me, by, by the sheer fact that I'm talking to them actually puts them in it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I do what I can to educate the parents on their children's needs according to their ages and stages off offside off like offline so that they can make good decisions for their kids right yeah Yeah. but I I mean I can and I definitely do post-separation like clinical work helping kids adjust to uh to the new situation yeah Mm -hmm. do you find you you are seeing a lot of high conflict um yeah (laughs) yes it's it's um and I think it's maybe I mean really it's by it's it's because I do what I do and I offer the services that I offer that I see it so I don't know if there's just focused yes or I'm just seeing more referrals um because of what I do but definitely I think the pandemic made it like untenable for people to 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 be in the same space so that they're raring to get out um, and, and really finding it hard to tolerate each other. And then when there are kids involved, that changes the whole tone and dynamic of the house. Um, and kids learn a lot through, you know, nonverbal communication. So sure. even when people think that they're hiding it or they're doing a great job, like your children probably know that something's coming because they can feel it. <laughs> so what's all, like, let's define that. What is high conflict, right? Because I mean, somebody might say high conflict is you're having an argument or yelling at each other because of somebody made the coffee improperly, you know, during, (laughs) during their door or, or, you know, or maybe it's, it's more, you know, um, physical or emotional abuse. I don't know. Like, what is it? What is it? So people can identify it. So, I mean, high conflict, true high conflict is the like ongoing malicious, you know, arguing to argue, black versus white um, over very, very small things just to keep the link to the other person going. Um, So where things could be settled, and I I wouldn't say high conflict happened. I mean, you can be high conflict in the beginning of your separation, but when I see high conflict couples, like typically this is something that's been going on for years and they just have not stopped fighting. Um, So 
that in my opinion is high conflict when you're in the midst of a separation of course there's going to be higher conflict than there has been in the past because you're trying to pull your lives apart um but if there's like insidious you know name calling or if there's stuff that's happening that's like filtering through on one side you know that definitely has the potential to be high conflict or if one personality wants to dominate the other and, and is just what they call ungovernable where they're making agreements and then turning around and doing the opposite like that would be considered high conflict as well yeah and i think at that point that's where the parties need to go see their own therapists right to yeah. work through their own issues because mm -hmm. we've talked to a few therapists mm -hmm. on the show and 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 some of the stuff that people do to their partners is just like you said that was a great word insidious mm -hmm. it's literally it, it's so damaging mm -hmm. to people right so anyways the, the really interesting thing is, is it kind of just rolls off the tongue. Like you'd be so surprised yeah. to just language itself, right? Yeah. Things like, oh, well, that's how your mother is. Well, you know, your mom, right? Like the, you can't talk to her like that's give that enough time, right? <laughs> I just think you do that, don't you? <laughs> I do that. I do that. I'm really bad. I For try sure. not to. My <laughs> are very defensive of me so poor their poor dad like he'll do one little thing and they're like you can't do that to mom I'm like dudes I can take care of myself but then I yeah. might say you know it's 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 yeah. so yeah I, I have our tongues are very sharp right they are they are you, I, you know I think another thing too though is when you look at it is relationships are evolving right they sure. they, they evolve Absolutely. over time so who yes. you were and where you were in a spirit period of time when you got first got married yeah it can be completely different Absolutely. hence the reason why we see quite a bit of gray divorce these days people yeah. feel like they get to the end of that well no not great you're, <laughs> you're silver we're like a silver fantastic it looks fantastic by the way <laughs> so Sorry, I didn't mean to get oh, a left turn there. I think we know what you meant, Darren. <laughs> older people getting divorced because yeah, they they get to the end, you know, and they, they feel they've done the process. Yeah, I did know? my, I, I raised my kids, I lived my life, and now I'm ready. To, I, I did what I had to do, mm -hmm. and now I'm ready to move on with my yeah. life. But it sounds like a prison sentence. Well, yes, <laughs> it's like I did my time. I'm yeah. out of here. You know, <laughs> but, I'm on the road. But it's yeah. true. I think. I yeah. think, and I don't know if I don't know if women. I would be interested to know the statistics on 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 gray divorce, mm. whether it's women that precipitate it, because I think I think and, and maybe I'm wrong and this is totally off topic, but like I think women get to a point where, you know, they they they, you know, were the primary caregivers of their children. They you know, maybe put their careers on hold. Yep. They may have taken a back burner to their 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 spouses. Mm. And now they've hit an age where their children are grown up yep. uh, and they want more than what they had and so i'd be curious he's not even saying anything he's just grinning i'm, I'm just sitting here because i'm thinking you're totally like defining another podcast right I'm now. Totally <laughs> defining another podcast well, that's okay, okay. I, with children. I, I think you're right uh, i think okay. you're right I think although you're right. Mm -hmm. Although, you know what I can imagine though, parents who divorce, like mm -hmm. if you're like if your parents divorced at a like now, if my parents divorced, I would be devastated. Mm. And I'm 50. <laughs> now, and you'd probably find out about all the stuff that they didn't tell you about. Yeah. Right. I'd be right? devastated. So, so, ooh, so that would be big. That would right? be that would be big. You yeah, know, anyway. Anyways, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right. Listen, we're, we're, I think we should wrap it up though. 
we're going to wrap it up and we're going to bring you back on the show, Melissa. Okay. Uh, Because I know we were going to talk about a couple other topics with you and we're going to stay on point. I can digress. It's all good. That's like good. You're such a you're such an awesome awesome guest. Um, so what we'll do then is we'll have you back on the show. Why don't you tell everyone how they get a hold of you if they want to talk? Uh, so if they want to talk, they're easily accessible through uh, TrueNorthMediation.ca. Um, email address, phone number is all there. Um, happy to chat, even if it's just to ask some questions about like what I do and if I'm a good fit. Um, and then there's lots of uh, opportunities to connect and, and find ways to help you out from there. Yeah. And they can find you on the DivorceNet uh, website yep, as well. It. And are you doing things remotely? That's another question too. Oh. Like if there's people in Toronto that want to work with you, they can. 100%. Yes. So Great. that is primarily, um, I let my office go, so to speak. So I'm 100% virtual until, you know, people ask me to do otherwise. Okay. And if they want to call you, do you have a phone number, like a business line? I do. Yeah. It's 613-795-8720. Awesome. And you can see find Melissa and all the other awesome professionals on the DivorceNet webpage and follow us on our social media. Until next time, everybody, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. Divorcenet.ca, clear and simple divorce advice from trusted local professionals.